created live on Fireside. Welcome, I'm Laura Lee Binstock, and this is a Trauma Survivor Thrivers Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me live on Fireside Chat, where you can be a part of the conversation as my virtual audience. I am your host, Lori Lee Binstock. Everyone has an opportunity to ask me or our guest questions on the show by requesting to hop on stage or sending a message in the chat box. I will try to get to you, but I do ask that everybody be respectful. Today's guest is Jamie Mustard, co-author of the book, The Invisible Machine, The Startling Truth About Trauma and the Scientific Breakthrough That Can Transform Your Life. Jamie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm sorry. I've not used this platform before, so I'm just having technical difficulties. Oh, you are not the first one, <laughs> and oh, you won't be sure. the last. <laughs> so there's right. no worry there. I'm just glad we were able to get you on because I really am so fascinated by this because I've actually never heard about this. You co-authored this book, The Invisible Machine, The Startling I Truth About Trauma and the Scientific Breakthrough. Um, and this you did this with Dr. Eugene Lipov, an anesthesiologist who developed this treatment. Um, could you actually describe it? Because you actually underwent this treatment, correct? I did, and one of the reasons, you know, a lot of people would ask, kind of, why would an artist co-author a book with, you know, Eugene Lipov is more than a an anesthesiologist. He's a, you could say, he's the Einstein of modern anesthesiology and a uh, a scientist. Um, so the question is, you know, why would a writer co-author a book with that guy? And, and the answer is kind of your, your, what you kind of said at the top that you'd never heard of it. And the reason you've never heard of it is because it's been around for 20 years and the military. Really? Yeah. And the military is used doing 15 to 20,000 of these a year. The second largest cohort getting it is sexual assault victims. When I saw this, uh, I saw something that, um, you know, whenever you see it on, it's been on 60 Minutes, it's been on Joe Rogan, it's been on CBS This Morning, but if you ever see it in the media, it's always at the extremes. It's always a Navy SEAL, a 9-11 first responder. When I came across this, I didn't see this as something for people at the extreme. I saw this as something that maybe could be affecting 40 to 50% of the U.S. and global population. So, my work was to go, hey, this is not for the extreme. This is for society and everyone that is experiencing uh, the symptoms that uh, are associated with fight or flight that may never have even associated themselves with trauma. I mean, to be honest, I never associated myself with trauma. I'm a childhood sexual abuse survivor, and I didn't realize I experienced trauma. I thought that was just something really bad that happened that I will never talk about. Um, but you're right. I feel like that this is very fascinating. And it's a non-invasive outpatient procedure. Okay, so yeah, you asked me what it is. I wouldn't use the word non-invasive. I would okay. use the word safe and minimally invasive. It's basically... Uh, he uses a needle to do what we well, we know it's safe because the shot was originally developed for tingling hands in 1926. Hmm. Um, it's now evolved. The doctor kind of reconfigured it and evolved it. So you, it's now 
we call it, it's, he's evolved it into what we're calling, what he calls uh, the dual sympathetic reset. And basically what you're doing is you're doing a pain injection that's guided, that's guided by an ultrasound. You get a local anesthetic first, so you don't even, it feels like nothing. And uh, he uses an ultrasound to uh, guide uh, um, a needle that has a tiny, you know, so a small amount of anesthetic in it. The same anesthetic that goes into an epidural, same $2 amount of anesthetic that goes into an epidural. And your sympathetic nervous system is basically located in the ganglion, which is a nerves, uh, a, um, a, 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 ner a string of nerves that run from your amygdala all the way down your body. But your sympathetic, your fight or flight system is in your neck on both sides of your neck. And what he does is he in injects this, uh, uh, God, I think it's, I'm going to get the name of it wrong. Bupacane. <laughs> Yeah, but um, it's the same. It's the same, you know, uh, stuff that goes into an epidural. And what it does is it turns off your sympathetic nervous system, and it comes online about ten minutes later at baseline mm. to the pre-trauma state. So you're basically resetting the sympathetic nervous system. And what we're finding, what, what what they found is, you know, um, that adult trauma or blunt force trauma is on the right side. You can only do one side per day. Okay. You do two injections on one side and then uh, you can get the next injection the next day. Anything before puberty or childhood trauma is on the left side. Wow. And they, yeah. So they'll always do the right side first. And then people that will have, have had childhood trauma uh, may not um, experience the reset. So they're starting more and more to, to do both on almost everybody. Wow. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I know about fight or flight and I didn't know it was about a cluster of nerves in your neck. I'm wondering, is this why I have neck pain? <laughs> uh, it, it might be. I mean, you have to think of it like this. Um, well, first of all, uh, Laura Lee, let me say thank you so much for having me. It's, Ooh. you know, just a real honor to be here. You know, um, you, there's two things that cause this. One is blunt force trauma. Like you and I are very, well, we're similar in this regard. I experienced an extreme massive amount of trauma as a kid, probably that most people would never not be able to survive in any sort of meaningful way. Um, and lived my entire life up until, I don't know, five years ago, seven years ago, uh, where I was in total denial that I'd even been traumatized. You know, I, in mm -hmm. my, in my upbringing, you know, growing up, how I grew up, where I grew up in the neighborhood I grew up in, you know, being a victim was the last thing you could ever be. So I never, the thought of thinking of myself as a victim was just not in my, you know, just in my, in my thought profile. So I just didn't think I had trauma. I got therapy for the first time five or six years ago. I uh, went to a counseling after about six weeks, this very lovely, I talk about this in the book, therapist uh, diagnosed me with, you know, acute post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, and it's not a disorder. It's actually a physical injury to the body. And you can see it on a brain scan, but she, uh, diagnosed me with PTSD. I laughed in her face because I thought it was such a ridiculous thing. Uh, she, her eyes welled up and she looked at me and she said, Jamie, have you been listening to the stories you've been telling me? And I said, uh, yes. And she said, how could you not? Mm. And in that moment, my whole kind of bullshit life narrative fell apart. And I kind of went home and hugged the cactus. I, I started, you know, realizing not only, you know, I, I not only has I had I been victimized, I had been 
you know, just completely uh, savaged and ravaged uh, um, as a child, you know, abandoned, you know, at birth with strangers, you know, um, very little physical touch in and out of institutional environments, you know, all this stuff that was, you know, just severe, egregious trauma. And I was just like, well, you know, it's normal. That's what I knew. Wow. Yeah. So, so about five or six years ago when my, my first book came out, maybe it's less, maybe it's, you know, um, or maybe it was before that, um, I was starting to get to kind of where I wanted in life. And, um, I, for the first time ever was looking back, you know, I didn't want to look back, but when I was getting what I wanted, my discomfort as a person wasn't going away in my mind. I thought, God, if I'm just successful, I'll feel relaxed. And I was getting successful and feeling very unrelaxed, actually more discomfort, more uncomfortable than I'd ever felt. And I couldn't understand why. So I started. So when I got this post-traumatic stress diagnosis, I started looking. I was friends or I shared a literary agent with a a really well-known military psychologist named uh, Shauna Springer, Doc Springer. And she had started uh, she was sending people for this procedure And uh, I ended up in the middle of COVID two and a half years ago, uh, getting on a plane in the middle of COVID uh, and going to Chicago in the winter to do this kind of what I thought was a very avant-garde procedure. Um, And it was very strange that I did that, Laura Lee, because when you grow up like raised by wolves or kind of thrown away like I was, you don't go to the doctor. So you don't go to regular doctors, let alone go and do kind of new treatments. Um, but I, I, when my first book came out, I had a very well-known forensic psycholog- psychiatrist named uh, Dr. Jay Faber, who works at Amen Clinic. Um, he was a fan of my book, and he and I had become friends. And so I just said as a friend, can you bet this thing for me? And it was all upside and no downside. And so I almost backed out 50 times, but I did it. Wow. Can you yeah. tell me what that was like? Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, it was the most transformative thing that I've ever done in my life. It completely changed my worldview. Um, and that is because it was like I had a lot of judgment towards people, you know, towards people where I grew up, the bad neighborhoods where I grew up, towards addicts, towards people that were, you know, couldn't get their life together. I had judgment. Okay. When I had, when I got both sides of this thing done, the discomfort that I'd been experiencing my entire life that I thought was a part of me, I woke, you know, was gone. It was just like, I was me. I didn't feel, I didn't even know I could feel that way. I didn't even know. Cause like when you're abandoned at birth, what's your, I I never even experienced baseline. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So, um, it, uh, I remember walking, this is a good way to describe it. I was walking down the street after getting it in Chicago. I went to the Chicago art museum. I was there with a friend who was supporting me and I saw these like hustler guys on the street and they were like, and they were looking at me and I kind of, you know, that's something that's triggering for me. I really resent that because it kind of reminds me of my neighborhood and these guys were looking at me like a mark and normally that would make me mad. When I saw these guys, all of a sudden I didn't see crazy people. I didn't see hustlers. I saw their biology. These guys are stuck in fight or flight. And I could explain to you what happens, but 
you know, you don't need blunt force trauma like what you and I went through uh, to need this. The, I think the biggest cause of this and why I think it's such a massive swath of the population, why I think most people that have post-traumatic stress don't even associate with trauma, you can get uh, is that what one, two things cause this. One is blunt force trauma, like what would happen in war, seeing your buddy killed in front of you mm-hmm. or a sexual assault. Um, but the other thing that causes this, and I think it's the much more predominant cause, is prolonged allostatic load, chronic stress over time. Yeah. Okay. And so um, just so by by feeling that sense of comfort in my own body and sense of relief, um, my it changed the way just I interact with people. Now when I see somebody reacting in fight or flight towards me rather than taking it personally or thinking they're crazy. I understand the biology of it. So it just, I just, I, I have only compassion. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I, and I feel that you're right. I feel like, I don't know, like probably 90 even more than that percent of the population have dealt with chronic stress, especially in America. And I feel like you know, everyone can benefit from, from, you know, a a treatment like this. I feel like that there's every, a lot of people, everyone I know deals with a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety and for something like this to be available and to, you say 20 years, I'm like, what? (laughs) I just heard about this, um, like last month. And so I'm intrigued. Does this treatment need to be accompanied by, um, ongoing therapy or, or, or what, what would you suggest? It's it's a great, it's a great question. and, And I'd like to answer it. And then I'd like to kind of back up and explain very specifically how one could get this and how a lot of your listeners right now are going, well, do I have trauma and not know it? And how would you know it? And, um, but something he's saying is resonating to me. So with me, so, um, I wish I could understand this more. So let me kind of explain that kind of how it works with other therapies. And then let me kind of back it up and explain why and how I came to write a book with who I think made the most, uh, preeminent most important medical discovery since the discovery of penicillin in 1928 and i would compare it as a human discovery to the moon landing if we can reset the nervous system it changes the world um Mm. and so i think this guy will go on to win the nobel prize um because even if you compare it to the polio vaccine you know suicide is linked to fight or flight if you you know fifty thousand people a year stop dying because when they when uh, the polio vaccine was discovered, I think in the forties, um, that, uh, the amount of suicides this could, could prevent in a year dwarfs that number compared to all the other ailments and physical conditions, because this conduct, if you have an, a, an overactive sympathetic nervous system, if your nervous system is stuck in fight or flight, you're going to have a cascade of physiological problems, right? It discombobulates the immune system. It destroys the scavenger system in the body, which is the system that is constantly, you know, keeping you from having autoimmune diseases, orthopedic problems, uh, cancer. That system can get discombobulated, right? So, you know, if the body keeps the score, then I would say this is the scorekeeper. But I think maybe backing it up and, 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 and kind of coming to how did I come to write a, an artist uh, and a uh, come to write a book with a, a scientist, right? But so basically I went and did this thing. My life was changed. 
And a couple months later, I got invited by two colonels that run all the training for special forces um, to speak, to come to Fort Bragg and speak to special forces at JFK Auditorium regarding my book, uh, The Iconist, okay, which is kind of like a Malcolm Gladwell type book. It's a business communications and art book. And um, it was kind of crazy. You know, I'm a kid from the slums of L.A., and all of a sudden I was going to Fort Bragg and teaching, psych, uh, you know, uh, psychological operations, how to create better counter propaganda against the Russians and the Chinese. You know, I mean, it's a crazy that I would be in that situation. So I got invited to Fort Bragg. When I got this procedure, um, the doctor came into the wait into the to the post-op room and he said, uh, Hey, and I went to get it from the inventor, Dr. Eugene Lipop, my co-author. And he said, hey, I was told to treat you like a VIP. Why? And I said, well, I'm an author and we have a mutual friend. So our mutual friend, you know, I have a bit of a platform, you know, probably wanted to make sure I was taken care of. And then he left again and then he came back and he said, listen, this procedure is going to this. Uh, um, uh, I mean, I get what, it, what it, this the. This anesthesia, this thing that you just got in your neck, it's going to wear off in about seven or eight hours. Can I pick you up at the hotel and take you to dinner? And we, we talk about this in the book. And I said, uh, sure. <laughs> you know, why not? <laughs> and so he picks me up from the hotel. We go to this Mexican restaurant, this fancy Mexican restaurant with the windows open. It's raining in the middle of COVID. The wind is blowing through. And he starts pouring glasses of expensive red wine. And download and gives me a three-hour download of the science and history of this thing, and my mind, and my, my just mouth, my jaw fell open. I remember turning to my friend who was at the dinner with us. He kind of sped off in his Tesla. We Ubered home, and I turned to my friend and I said, "We just had dinner with the smartest human being I've ever met." Wow. And you know, I met a lot of smart. I mean, I went to the London School of Economics. I know a lot of smart people, right? So, um. So he and I, so then a few, I get back to Portland, a few days go by and I get a call from this guy and he says, Hey, I just read your book. And we just started talking and we became friends. Uh, right after that, I got invited to Fort Bragg. Um, and I, and the doctor couldn't believe that I was being invited to Fort Bragg by these colonels. So he said, Hey, can I come sit in the audience for your talk? I know they're doing my procedure at Fort Bragg, but they won't talk to me. I don't know how. So basically I, um, Talk to these colonels. They had never heard of this thing, the DSR at the time. It was called the SGB, the Select Ganglion Block. But they started researching it. They called me back and they said, yeah, we're doing uh, um, 10 of these a day, six days a week. They're, they were doing 3,000 a year at Fort Bragg alone. And was this on um, active military? Yes. Interesting. So, so go ahead. Yeah. No, so the VA was probably doing more, but the long, but really what happened is there was a post-traumatic stress meeting where I got really upset because I had to sit in the, you know, the colonels arranged 10 days of meetings, even though it was six weeks away, it normally takes seven months to a year to get grand rounds at Womack. Dr. Olipov had done grand rounds at Walter Reed. The colonels arranged for the doctor to come with me and do grand rounds for all the doctors at Womack because they were doing the procedure at Fort Bragg based off of the 10 year old paper. So it was to bring them into all the modifications because 10 years ago, this thing was 70% effective in the relief of post-traumatic stress. Now it's up to 85 to 90%. 
So because of the latest modification. So he did grand rounds. And at one of the post-traumatic stress meetings, I sat around for two hours and listened to these guys who'd come back from Iraq and Afghanistan, special forces guys, and their stories. And they were all told that they had a disorder. And it made me really angry because at that point, I knew 100% that they had a physical injury to their body and that post-traumatic stress disorder does not exist. It's post-traumatic stress injury is a physical injury to the body. You can see it on a brain scan. So at the end of that meeting, I expressed my rage at the mm -hmm. fact that these guys are sacrificing their bodies, their families, their wives, their children. They don't come back the same. And then they're being, then their government is telling them they're crazy. It may be mad. And I said that. And so I think the guy that runs the health initiative task force, I think he was kind of, you know, he kind of saw me as this already writer guy. He didn't know what to make of me. But when I expressed my truth, I think he kind of started to respect me. And he called me over at the end of the meeting. And he said, uh, Jamie, have you ever heard of operator syndrome? And I said, no. And he showed up these symptoms on his phone. It was about eight symptoms. And of the symptoms that you would experience if you were running from a tiger. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, and, and that, this is what happens if you're never in a fighter fight at Fort Black Bragg. Or no, say so you're never in a firefight in Afghanistan or Iraq, but you just you're deployed at a fire base and you have the stress of being away from your family. And maybe you could die that day from an IED or from something else. Right. So it's this prolonged allostatic load, but you're never in a fight. They call that operator syndrome. OK. Um, and when I saw that list of symptoms, Laura Lee, I didn't see the military. I saw the. Mexican neighborhoods where I grew up in Los Angeles. And so my mind started spinning. Could it be that the stress of poverty or if you're middle class and the stress of having distant parents, a mother that needles you, a mean father, could it be that the chronic stress of that, a divorce, could cause the exact same biological injury as someone coming back from war? Because the sympathetic nervous system is a machine, an invisible machine, hence the name of the book, The Invisible Machine. Um, could it be that that it doesn't think it's apathetic? So could it be that average people have the exact same symptoms in their body as someone coming back from war, but they don't know it because they just got it from having, you know, parents that didn't hug them or talk to them a certain way. And that, and that's where my mind met Dr. Lipov's staggering innovation. Yeah. I mean, that affects the majority of people. Right. These are these they are considered, I guess, little T traumas. Um, but the reaction, the reaction and the activation within the, um, you know, the amygdala is all the same. Right. Yeah. I mean, let me kind of tell you kind of how let me kind of give a primitive way of how one gets this mm -hmm. and then go. And why don't I go over the seven symptoms? That way, the people listening can go, well, I don't have trauma. Then they can listen to me list it and they go, maybe I do. Right. <laughs> um Please, so, please. Yeah. So listen, I people like the, at the extreme were seeking this out and finding it. But people like me were not. And, and again, I was at the extreme. I just didn't know it. And I, you know, my goal was to bring this, the military, my goal was to bring this into the light. And I think it should be more popular or known than LASIK. It can change the way we, we interact uh, as a species. But basically, um, you have to think of it as if you were – running from a tiger, you know, you live in a jungle, you know, a thousand years ago, you're, and you're, uh, and you're a tiger comes out of nowhere. Well, in the moment, 
uh, it's Peter Levine's work. Uh, that guy, yeah. he wrote a book, I think, in the, yeah, um, in the, it was in the 80s or Awaken, 90s. Awaken the yeah. Tiger? Um, yeah, Running from the Tiger. Voice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Awaken the Tiger, yes. I've read I've read The Unspoken Voice of okay. Peter Levine. I'm fascinated okay. with somatic experiencing, but yes, continue. Okay, so say a tiger comes out of nowhere, you live in the jungle a thousand years ago. Well, what is going to happen in that moment is you're going to have seven or eight symptoms, Okay. You're going to have seven or eight feelings. Your amygdala is going to send a signal to these nerves on each side of your neck, and that's going to jerk you into response. Say you are walking, you're hiking up a mountain, and there's a cliff, and you almost slip and fall down it. Your amygdala sends a sig signal to these, uh, or you almost swerve your car and hit somebody, but just you avert the accident just in time because your amygdala sends a signal to these nerves in your neck that jerk you into action to either flee or fight for your life, okay? Mm -hmm. Fight or flight. Well, typically if that happens and it's something like swerving your car, you're heightened for five, maybe three to five hours because you felt like you almost died. And then three, you know, four or five hours later, you'll come back down to baseline, right? But if the trauma is too great, like your buddy being killed in front of you or you or uh, then or a sexual assault and you have this overwhelming trauma, um, the your your sympathetic nervous system actually gets locked into fight or flight. So you're locked into feeling like you're running from a tiger 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, seven days a week, okay? So what would you experience if a tiger leaped out at you? You would experience anxiety. You'd be anxious the tiger was gonna kill you. You'd have mild paranoia that the tiger was right there at that, that moment. You would have a sense of doom. You'd feel like the other shoe was gonna drop every second because you knew the tiger was right there. You would be hyper vigilant about the tiger. You would be hyper aroused about the tiger. You wouldn't be able to sleep because you can't sleep if a tiger's chasing you. Nice. You would be highly reactive and have a hair trigger because you would need to be reactive to survive the tiger. Okay. Um, and these guys that come back from Afghanistan and Iraq, a, a massive majority of them, something like 25% of them all have uh, erectile dysfunction because you can't have sex if you're running from a tiger. In the military, the ultimate form of fight and the ultimate form of flight in the military, um, suicide is the ultimate form of flight. Where people are trained to protect, it's the ultimate form of flight. In the neighborhoods where I grew up where maybe violence is acceptable or life is cheaper, um, homicide is the ultimate form of fight. So I believe when you see these violence rates in the community that I live in and you see these suicide rates in the military, it is 100% an overactive sympathetic nervous system. So when you experience those symptoms, you can get that, say the tiger never eats you. You're just in a jungle where there's lots of tigers. So you're, you're carrying the stress of the tiger of tigers all the time. Okay. It, it would be a, it, it would be a survival mechanism. It would be a survival tool to be locked in fight or flight. It actually would help you to survive. Okay. The problem is if you're sitting at home watching Netflix you know, eating uh, Cheetos um, <laughs> and drinking, you know, a LaCroix um, uh, and you're feeling that way, it creates a really, really big problem. Um, and, and think about it also like this. We're meant to experience those symptoms, anxiety, paranoia, sense of doom or mild paranoia, hypervigilance, hyperarousal, lack of sleep, hair trigger, reactivity. We're meant to experience that for about 30 seconds where we either flee from the tiger or we fight the tiger. 
Okay. And then we're supposed to calm down and be normal as humans. Okay. Those are supposed to be short bursts of fight or flight. Um, if you have to experience like a tiger is going to eat you at every second, 20, all the time, which is what happens when your sympathetic gets um, stuck in fight or flight, you're going to you're not going to want to live. You're going to want to kill yourself. We're not designed to want to live like a tiger is going to eat us at every second. You're going to either want to kill yourself or you're going to want to kill somebody. Yeah. Right. So um, uh, there was a guy named Frank Ockbert who defined uh, uh, Stockholm syndrome for the um, in the 1970s for the FBI. And he's a very famous psychiatrist. And, and in 2012, he's been working since 2012. Uh, he's been working very hard um, with uh, others to try and get the name changed from post-traumatic stress disorder to post-traumatic stress injury, PTSI. Mm. So, um, can I keep going? I don't, of you know, course, I don't yes. Okay, keep going. No, this is fascinating. Okay. okay. And not, so, 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 uh, let's back it up. So, let's, so everyone's different. Like the, you can to a child, a father that is distant, a mother that needles you. That allostatic load for a child is staggering, and that person would not associate themselves with trauma. So I'm trying to get this away from just the extremes. I want those people to get it, but I'm trying to bring this to kindergarten teachers, yoga instructors, plumbers, CEOs, accountants, attorneys. I'm trying to bring this to the every person, all right? Um, but, you know, I think a really good way to explain this um, is uh, um, back in 1970, Dr. Frank Ockberg, this guy that came up with the term post-traumatic stress injury, and again, you can see this on a brain scan, Laura So if I, if someone has an overactive sympathetic nervous system and I scan their brain with a functional MRI, I will see overactivity in their amygdala and I will see decreased blood flow to their frontal cortex. Um, normally to, to, to kind of mitigate against that, and then we're going to get, after I explain this, we'll get into how it relates to other therapies. Normally to mitigate against that, um, I might need six months of hyperbaric, no drugs and alcohol, um, uh, ketamine, psilocy, you know, I could do a million things and I would only mitigate against that so much to, and I could get some decrease in that overactivity in the amygdala from all those therapies for years. And maybe I would get, um, some increased blood flow to my frontal cortex. If you do this injection, where you just reset the nervous system with no side effects, no long-term side effects. There's a side effect that day that you get, you get it. And then the second day you get it. And then by the evening of both days, it's gone. Um, if you get the reset, um, you, uh, uh, you're just, uh, a person again, and you're not having to use all these things to, it's like physical therapy in a broken leg. You wouldn't do physical therapy over a broken leg. You'd set the leg, then you'd do physical therapy. So all these incredible therapies work, but we're doing them over a broken leg. And so what you would see on a brain scan after uh, doing a DSR, a dual sympathetic reset, is um, that overactivity in the amygdala would be gone in a day. It'd be completely gone and you'd have increased blood flow um, to the uh, your frontal cortex in a way that, that years of all those other modalities combined would never achieve because you're doing physical therapy over a broken leg. Mm. 
It also, when you, when you call it a disorder, it's incredibly stigmatizing. And you could even say inhumane if it's a lie, which it is, because it's actually a physical injury to the body. Um, so it's like, if you, we don't have broken leg syndrome or broken leg disorder. When you call something a mental disorder that's actually a physical injury, it's very harmful. It's incredibly stigmatizing. But if you call it a physical injury, you take all the stigma away. No one has a stigma for having a broken leg because you can see it. Uh, you can't see an overactive sympathetic, but it's just as broken as a broken leg. It's the best metaphor to describe it. And that's why we call the book The Invisible Machine, The Startling Truth About Trauma, and The um, Scientific Breakthrough That Can Transform Your Life. But what I'd like to do, Laura Lee, and then I'll kind of back up and answer your question, <laughs> next question. I, th I think this is the best way for people to understand and, and, and unequivocally that what I'm saying is true. It's like I can hear people listening right now going, is that true? Is that true? Come on. How can it be a physical injury? I'm going to say, well, here's how it's a physical injury. When I explain this, no one, no one will question it anymore. Okay? Because I'll give you an, an analogy that everyone can understand. Back in 1970, Dr. Frank Ochberg published a book with a bunch of Stanford scientists, um, the guy that came up with PTSI in 2012, back in 1970, <clears throat> excuse me. He published a book called uh, Violence and the Struggle for Existence. That book was put out by Little Brown. It was, um, the, the, the forward to that book was written by Coretta Scott King, the wife of Dr. Martin Luther okay. King, because it was two years after his assassination. Violence and the Struggle for Existence. In that book, there is a chapter called Biology and Aggression. Um, and and what, what, what these scientists explain is we 100% know that trauma is biological. And the reason we know it, we don't know how, but the reason he, we know it is because if you beat or abuse a dog, a goat, a chicken, a cat, um, its behavior changes. It either becomes highly aggressive, fight, or incredibly timid, flight. Well, we didn't just give that goat or that dog a disorder. It's not sentient in the same way a human being is. So doctors, we knew, we've known for a long, long time that when we traumatize something, we've changed the biology. We just didn't know how until Dr. Lipov first published on this in 2000, I think 2008. Barack Obama uh, endorsed this as far back as 2010. Um, so it's it's been out there. It's just always associated with the extreme, you know. So when when Dr. Lipov published on this in 2008, Frank Ochberg found him. Now they're close friends. So. Um, obviously we've all can relate to an animal that we know has been traumatized. We didn't give it a disorder. We know we've changed its biology. Dr. Lipov uh, figured out how, and then how to reset um, anybody to the pre-trauma state. Wow. Well, I, this is, this is extremely fascinating because, you know, I, I am a huge fan. I don't know if you've listened to any of my podcasts prior, but I'm a huge advocate for psychedelic assisted therapy. Um, but I, I'm, would you say that doing something like the DSR and then, I mean, do you experience, if for it to go haywire again, you would just have to experience trauma again or, or you're completely reset? 
No, if you go traumatize yourself again, <laughs> you're 100% going to have to um, do this, you know? So a couple of things I would, you know, say is one thing is, you know, when, uh, when, one of the things that got me started on this journey is I, is a conversation that I had with Daniel Amen. Do you know who he is? Yes, I do. Yes. Okay. Very fascinating stuff. Yeah, the way I came to meet Daniel Amen is that forensic psychiatrist, Dr. Jay Faber, who got me really started on this journey. I mean, I would not, if I don't meet Jay Faber, who runs the Encino Amen Clinic, who's probably the most bona fide forensic psychiatrist, if not the United States, maybe the world in terms of education, degrees, and board certifications. He was a fan of the book, The Iconist. He contacted me on the website and said, can you come to LA and speak to inner city kids and I'll pay you? through my, my foundation. And I said, well, hey, man, I'll, I'll come to L.A. and I'll talk to kids, but I don't think I can take money for going to my hometown and talking to kids. But but I'll come out and do it, but I, I just won't take your money. Um, and uh, But public speaking is a way that I make money, but just I wouldn't do it that way. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't do <laughs> I, I told my agent that I couldn't charge for that, you know. Uh, and um, But this guy, he, reads, he and I become friends, so he's the one that vetted the – uh, at the time, it was SGB. Now it's DCR, DSR for me. Um, and basically, I asked him about this because I was really wanting to feel better because I was successful. And now I didn't have a reason for discomfort because I thought, well, if I just achieve my goals, I'll feel good. And then I had all my goals achieved and I was feeling worse than ever. And that was causing me to be very concerned. And um, what it, you know, and the precursor to that is. You know, growing up in poverty, people, you know, I was semi-literate until my late teens. And I went from, because through the, a relative gave me an opportunity to not be in poverty and to just focus on my studies for the first time in my life and to have eyeglasses and medical care when I was 19. And I went from doing remedial classes at a community college to graduating from the London School of Economics in just over five years. Wow. And people say, how did you do that? Why did you do that? And the thing was, I was desperate. I had lived in poverty and ignorance. And in my mind, I thought if I have affluence which and education, that means I won't have pain. So aff if, 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 if poverty and ignorance meant pain, affluence and education would mean no pain. So it drove me to this extraordinary overcoming of my life. And I remember arriving to the London School of Economics at 21 or 20 years old, you know, 21 years old. And thinking finally I would be I was away from pain and I was around, you know, the, some of the most smartest people in the world. And when I got there, they had they were just as messed up and maybe had more problems than the people in the neighborhoods where I grew up. And so my whole premise fell apart, Laura Lee, because I thought, well, at least we had a reason to have these problems. We're dealing with, you know, reality every day in terms of aspects of survival. These guys are just have everything that you can imagine, but they have the same anxieties and problems. And, and so I was kind of disheartened and deflated because it didn't solve my problems. I didn't understand why um, everyone experiences this, these aspects of existence until I went through this procedure 20 years later, 25 years later. Mm. Okay. Um, but uh, so, you know, what, one thing that kind of got me on the, on this project also was uh, three and a half years ago, Dr. Lipov teamed up with a private equity firm, Sterling partners in, in Chicago. 
they are a multi-million dollar private equity firm, to open up clinics all over the United States, uh, which is called the Stella Center. And one thing I would say is the only place that has uh, Dr. Lipov's, what I would call the Stella Protocols, Dr. Lipov is the chief medical officer there, is the Stella Center. There's 35 of them in the United States. If you don't go to a Stella Center, you're not getting this. Okay. But without them, I would have never chosen to do a book because why promote a book to the world if it's not available to everyone? Right. But back to this. Yeah. (laughs) Let me tell you about this conversation with Daniel Amen and then I'll shut up and open and let (laughs) more questions. So, so Dr. One day, Dr. Faber said to me, he and I become friends. He'd written a book called Escape, Rehabilitate Your Brain and Stay Out of the Legal System that kind of really where he, where they were, um, able to rehabilitate people's brains that had been addicts. And I was really impressed by the data science in that book. Um, and so one day he starts insisting that Daniel Amen and I have to have a phone call, right? So uh, so he, he forces Daniel Amen and I onto a Zoom call. Um, I was excited about it because I get to meet, you know, the great Daniel Amen. I think Daniel Amen did not want to be there. <laughs> he was like, what am I doing on a call with this guy? And so what I did for the first four, it was about an hour and a half call. What I did for the first 45 minutes of that call was just ask Daniel questions. Why this? Why that? You know, just was curious. And I think after about 45 minutes later in, you know, he said, how can I help you, Jamie? What do you want from me? And I said, listen, you're the one that's been leading the charge for the last 30 years saying that mental issues are brain health issues, that they're biological. Um, he knew nothing about the symp- this aspect of the sympathetic nervous system, the SGB. I wouldn't say nothing, but it was not something he'd been investigating. He was mostly dealing with brain toxicity and TBI. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, listen, you're the one that's been leading this charge. So... Um, if I'm right, and this is a, a major part of the mechanism, A, um, then you just, you need to be a part of it. <laughs> you know, you're the one that, you're the first person through the gate taking all the hits, saying this stuff is biological. If this is a major part of the equation. You, I think that it makes total sense that you're a part of this. And so he, this is 45 minutes in, and I can kind of see him relax, and he says, hold on. And he starts Googling right in front of me, Laurelie. <laughs> And I, I, I'm staring at him through the Zoom, and his kind of mouth comes falls open, and he goes, huh, huh. And I said, what? And he said, hey, there is a very credible study here that says that this is 70% uh, effective in the permanent relief of most ex- post-traumatic stress symptoms. And I said, whoa, 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 Daniel. And then and he said, uh, and I said, whoa, 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 Daniel, that's an old study mm-hmm. with the it's got to be a 10 year old paper with the recent modifications of the dual injection and the right and left side. It's at 85 to 90%. And Daniel Lehman looks at me through the zoom and says, uh, Jamie, uh, you don't understand at 70%. This is Nobel prize winning work. I'll help you. Wow. Yeah. And then he's been a massive partner for me. Um, you know, I sent, my first cohort of people that I sent to Chicago because they were doing it wrong at Womack was I, a private jet company donated a plane to send 13 of my special forces operators to Fort Bragg or no to, to Chicago. I scanned their brains in Amen Clinic in Chicago, did this procedure on them over two days, scanned their brains again less than 48 hours later in Amen. So Amen's been a massive supporter, partner for me. I could not have done this book without him. 
Wow. Amazing. Amazing. So is this procedure covered by insurance by any chance? It isn't, but it's actually not a very expensive procedure compared to the cost of talk therapy, the cost of all the other things that you could be doing out there compared to hyperbaric. Um, You can, there's a, it's typically, I think it's probably in the two to $3,000 range, but you don't have, but, but then, but the amount of gain, or I don't know if I want to use that word, but the amount of benefit, benefit, (laughs) change, relief, comfort is kind of hard to, um, it's, it's, it's too unbelievable. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's just, it's like, it's, you just, I was nervous to do it, Laurelie, because I'm an artist and I thought if my angst goes away, will I be able to create? <laughs> oh yes. That's a very, yeah, that's a very legitimate concern. As an yeah, artist. But the, yeah. But the thing is like, you know, think about it like, but here's what actually happened. That was my concern, but here's what happened. If you're stuck in fight or flight and you think there's a tiger every second of the day, you're not going to be able to experience emotion. You're not going to cry during a movie or have lovely moments with people if you feel like a tiger is about to eat you all the time. You're concerned with the tiger. These ner- nerves in your neck are lying to your brain. So when that when that went away and I was no longer in fight or flight, I was ex- my joy, my ex- ability to experience emotion was just freed and it made me a far better artist. Wow. Um, well, yeah. I, you know, I'm just, I am bothered by the fact that there's so many effective treatments I feel like that are out there and this being a, a huge one that insurance doesn't cover, but they'll they cover talk therapy for 20, 30 years. Um, makes you wonder, but yes, this is, is this something that anyone's like lobbying for, for, for insurance to say, Hey, this is, Mental health is a huge problem, you know, in our country and worldwide. You know, this is something that that should be covered for for the majority of people who probably need it the most are probably the ones that who wouldn't be able to spend, you know, two thousand, three thousand dollars on it. You know, this is this is this is this is my concern with psychedelic work or I mean, I'm ketamine is not my my one of the things that I advocate for, but I mean, you know, the other stuff is illegal, but once it does become legal, you know, the insurance is, is probably not going to cover it, especially immediately. And they're not even covering ketamine, which is legal. So is this something that, you know, somebody well, is, it's is, a great is, question. It's a great question. And I will say that I'm a massive fan of ketamine. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason I'm a fan of ketamine is because of how it works. What, you know, I'm not a fan of the disassociative state. I don't think that's how it works. A lot of people would disagree with me. Ketamine, uh, the way that Dr. Lipov, if he were here, would describe it, is like fertilizer for nerve growth in the brain. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people that have um, that are having mental issues. You know, when I was on that call with Daniel, I kept using the term mental illness or something. He looked at me really sour one time and he said, please, <laughs> don't use that term. Please stop. And I said, why? What's wrong with it? He goes, well, it's not true. It's not. No one has that. I said, well, it's stigmatizing and it's inhumane and it's not true. And I said, well, what, what would you use? And he said, uh, brain health issues. Let's just call it brain health issues. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. So, you know, Daniel has been scanning brains 
since 1989. His whole thing was when he started and he was a, considered, you know, an out, outsider for a long time and at a, opposed, you know, even a quack. As the brain science has come in in the last 10 years, he's been hailed as a genius and a hero. Okay. And, um, uh, but basically his view was, you know, if your arm hurts and I'm going to get to the insurance thing, uh, I just want to give this kind of entry to it. If your arm hurts or your leg hurts, you x-ray it. Somebody acts crazy and you, no one's looking at people's brains when they act crazy. He thought that made no sense. And that's why in 1989, over 30 years ago, he started scanning brains. In the last 30 years, it's made him the most famous psychiatrist in America that probably dr drugs people the least. His thing on drugs, on, 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 uh, psychotropics is when you use a psychotropic, which can be effective to give somebody relief, you're creating a problem to solve a problem. The psychotropic changes your brain so that you need it. So now you have two problems that he thinks, you know, so, um, but, um, so he's got a massive data set of what, of, uh, what, of, uh, two, almost 200,000 brain scans. So one of the things that we know is we know that alcohol ravages the brain in terms of blood flow and yeah. other toxicities. Um, we, THC is even worse. So we freed up marijuana. It's legal in the state of Oregon where I live, but uh, it actually ravages the brain and creates all sorts of uh, mental problems in terms of just anxiety. Uh, and, uh, and then you need it just to feel normal and you're destroying your brain. Okay. So, all I'm interested in is the data science. But back to this insurance question. Right now, this NYU study is being done. The Army has been studying this for years. So there's lots of incredible studies. There's one on 60 Minutes. There was a 60 Minutes episode five, 10 years ago that talked about the Army study. Um, but the, right now, the the FM, the uh, there's a uh, study being done at fMRI or an fMRI study being done at NYU that makes this unequivocally undeniable. So I don't think we're far away from the insurance companies approving this. Also, the, the doctor is connected to a nonprofit charity called Erase PTSD Now, and they're paying for treatment for a phenomenal amount of people. So you can apply to, to that. But what I would say is, you know, get the Invisible Machine book, understand it. A huge part of the book is explaining how this relates to all the other incredible therapeutics out there. I believe psilocybin works. We don't have a lot of data on the long-term effects of it, but with, with the DSR, there's no doubt there. I don't want to say there's no real downside. You get all of the gain, you get it instantly and you don't have to worry about, you know, I've had people tell me they do psilocybin and they have a really bad experience on what psychologically or same thing with ketamine, which I'm a fan of. So, this is all the upside with none of the downside. And you and you know, I had a doctor one time, a military doctor, that was telling me that, you know, that there, you know, this wasn't the only treatment, and I was overselling it, and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and at Fort Bragg. And I and I said to her, okay, um, let me ask you a question. Say somebody was in real trouble and they weren't feeling well, and they and that you had every um, modality at what your disposal to give them. What should they do first? And she said, um, well, they should do the DSR first. Mm. Because then we'd, the, the, they would get so far in so little time with no downside that it, would, it makes everything else more effective. So what we're finding is that people that reset the leg, it's the difference between physical therapy and a broken leg, Laura Lee. You 
Physical therapy is going to be far more effective if you reset the leg. You wouldn't do physical therapy over a broken leg. So you're going to find that if you do psilocybin or you do hyperbaric or you do talk therapy, these things go exponentially faster and better and have more, far more efficacy if you do a DSR first. The, my most, there's a, again, all of this is parsed apart in the book, The Invisible Machine. The tentpole of that book is a guy named Trevor Beeman, who is, uh, a guy that I was afraid of for about a year, who's now one of my best friends. And I was afraid <laughs> of him. I was afraid of him because I interviewed him at Fort Bragg. He is a guy that was molested by his stepfather for eight years from eight to 16. The guy went to jail. Mm. He shot up medical heroin in Afghanistan. He killed people. He's seen people killed. And for 30 years, he was homicidal towards his stepfather and suicidal. The only thing keeping him alive was his wife and his children. Uh, this guy just had just wanted to die. And so when I met him, I interviewed him for three hours at Fort Bragg. It was the hardest interview I ever did. He started calling me wanting to talk. And I did not want that. I didn't He wanted to send me stuff. I didn't want him having my address. I was terrified of this guy when I got back to Portland after that trip to Fort Bragg. Um, the, the military does not want, special forces doesn't want crazy special operators out there. So there's they get more resources than regular army. They, they'd spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, you know, trying to giving Trevor, Trevor everything you could possibly imagine. EMDR, every therapy, the, the Green Beret Foundation, the military would pay for him to get better. Nothing worked. He was suicidal and homicidal towards his stepfather. Um, after that interview, it took me six months to get him to Chicago. That was 18 months ago. Trevor's just gone back to being a person. Wow. Wow. And, and the, mo and, you know, and, the, and what's, and, and you, you know, he, you would never know there's anything wrong with him. He looks like a guy that would be playing. He, he looks like an actor that would play a special forces hero in a movie. He's <laughs> just a good looking white guy, you know, but he was beaten into the Latin Kings at 11 and grew up in poverty outside of Chicago, but you would never know it from looking at him. And so that, so three months ago, he's doing Ted in Portland um, he came to audition for Ted in Portland a few months ago. And this guy that I didn't want to even know before he did the DSR stayed in my house. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so, th so that's how I, I, the way I explain it in terms of other therapies is set the leg and then all these other amazing modalities out there will be so much more effective. You really have me. I'm like, after this conversation, I'm going to be Googling where this is, this treatment is available because I am extremely intrigued because yes, I've done, you know, the psilocybin, the MDMA, and, um, it has worked wonders for me. I was able to get off of all of my SSRIs and, um, but there, you know, there are moments when I, I, I feel like my nervous system just gets goes haywire, you know, after like four or five months after I've done it. Um, so I'm wondering, like, am I, I should I try this DSR uh, treatment and then continue along my IFS therapy and, you know, whatever else that, that you know, I'm doing now? And yeah, I'm, I'm extremely intrigued. Where can we find more information about where this is available? Okay, well, well, can, can I comment on what you just said about yourself? And yes, tell you? uh, please. <laughs> um, listen, you're, any other thing that you're doing, you're mitigating against it. These things work, like yoga works. 
We're also not meant to live in artificial cities and artificial environments. So this system is a very useful system if we're in a tiger-infested jungle, being stuck in fight or flight is actually very good. We actually, it makes sense that trauma is not a disorder. It makes sense that it's a physical injury because we would all have to have an identical response to fight or flight or to trauma um, with fight or flight if we're gonna survive as a species. It doesn't make mm -hmm. any sense that it would be a disorder, okay? We, we're a survival species. We have to have a homogenous, uniform response to survival or we don't survive, okay? But, you know, what you're doing when you do yoga, um, psilocybin, I've seen wonders with psilocybin, hyperbaric wonders, but a lot of that is your midi it's mitigation. Like you have to do yoga, you have to run every day. Nature is incredible. You know, we're, we're you know, I find, you know, nature helps mitigate against this, but we don't live in, most of us don't live in natural environments anymore. So we don't have that mitigator, right? So you can kind of reduce it and bring it down through holistic health. But the only way to reset it is the reset it. Okay. Again, uh, the, the Stella Center, go to Stella, I, I think it's, is it StellaCenter.com? We might be able um, to find it. Yeah. Let me. StellaCenter.com. Yep. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Or go to, yeah. I would also highly recommend if you're not getting this from Stella Center, I don't work for them. Uh, they don't pay me. Okay. I'm not a, I just know the only place that has the modern protocols, which I'll call the Stella protocols, is the Stella Center. I, if you're not getting this, um, if you're not going to Stella Center, you're not getting this. That's why I had to send my first cohort of people two years ago from Fort Bragg, from Womack, the most advanced medical hospital, military hospital in the world. I had to send my guys to Chicago. Uh, so first of all, Laura Lee, where do you live? I live in Washington, D.C. Okay, well, there are... I what in New York, I see. Yeah, don't go to New York. No, like, like <laughs> you're like, first of all, let's talk offline. But uh, I, I would I want you to go to Chicago and get it from Dr. Lipoff unequivocally. OK, and if you do that, I'll get you a discount. Oh, okay. well, I, yes. Well, let's let let's chat after this. Okay, conversation. No, I'm very intrigued. I, I'm trust me i i mean from where i was five years ago is just exponentially better i don't recognize who i was but i do have these moments where you know um, i just tore my acl i've just i'm recovering from acl surgery and i was single parenting for like a week and my children just the sound of my children's voices upstairs screaming would like send me into like this like what is happening and just freaking out over no reason and it's really because and i and i imagine myself and i think about peter levine's book where i was like maybe i'm i feel like a wounded animal with the just this the slight sound of like danger or any issues sends my nervous system like off the charts and this yeah. was over the last week 100 <laughs> percent. one of the things i hear over and over and this is true for me is you know that moment where you just react? That's a physiological response. That is an overactive sympathetic nervous system. That's what went away when I got this. So you That's get that extra five <laughs> seconds. You get that extra ten seconds where you're not having the physiological response to process. I call that period that ten seconds where you don't have the physiological response, where you're able to analyze what's going on. I call that moment. That, that extra 10 seconds of not feeling it in your body, the God moment, mm. because we, it seems like such a little thing. Well, you know, I'm not responding. So I have 10 seconds to actually analyze what's going on. 
that 10 seconds can be the difference between stressing your kids out and, and giving them secondary right. post-traumatic stress. Exactly. It can, be, it can be the difference between, you know, you keeping your job, you, you know, that you fighting with your spouse. It's a massive, it's a massive change in the way that we move through the world. So even though it may only be 10 seconds, it's 10 seconds where you're not having a feeling and you're looking at something as it is. Yes. I'm responding versus reacting. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, that's why, even though I call it the God moment. Okay. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, and I, so uh, Dr. Eugene Lipov.com is a massively incredible resource, but you listen, the best resource is the book, right? Get, you know, get this book. It's, it's, it's got incredible stories in it and a lot of data science. Read it. It's, you know, you can get it at every bookstore in America right now, or it's it's, on Amazon too. Yeah, exactly. Typically, when I do a book, I don't push the book because I I just say this is it. Take it or leave it if you like the ideas. This this book's different, okay? because I know what it can do for people in the world. So I'm going to unabashedly push this, tell you, read this book. It reads like a yarn because of the incredible stories in it. And it's got a lot of science and um, you can get it on Kindle for 10 bucks. The audio book will be out in a few weeks. Um, but, uh, you know, I if you want to understand how DSR relates to you, your life story, if you've not associated with trauma, but you're feeling like maybe some of these symptoms mean something to you, other modalities, this book parses it apart and it's a very easy to read book, The Invisible Machine. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And you know, the the link to the book will be in the show notes. So please check it out. Jamie, thank you so much. I appreciate it. This was an incredible conversation. Um, Laura Lee, again, go to Stella Center. I'm not, I, I, I'm not, a, and get Lipop, the Stella protocols. Dr. Lipop is the chief medical officer there. If you're not getting it there, you're not getting it. And I'm, and I'm only saying that because it's true. And, uh, you know, listen, when I do these interviews, a lot of times, I don't know, Laura Lee, this was just a really fluid human conversation. It felt very different and I, and I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I, I'm, I really appreciate the knowledge that you brought to this and I'm, you, you sold me. (laughs) So I will be chatting with you after this conversation. That was Jamie Mustard, co-author of the book, The Invisible Machine, The Startling Truth About Trauma and the Scientific Breakthrough That Can Transform Your Life. For more information about The Invisible Machine, you can click on that scrolling fortune cookie right there on the, in, on your screen, and you can take a look in the show notes um, if you're listening to this podcast. Anywhere you get podcasts, Apple, Google, Stitcher, uh, May's edition of Authentic Insider comes out tomorrow. Check out Authentic Insider at TraumaSurvivorThriver.com. That's TraumaSurvivorThriver.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe to my email list to get Authentic Insider Magazine in your inbox monthly. Thank you so much for being a part of the conversation. Join me live next week, May 3rd, when I speak with Megan Stoner, when we discuss sacred sexuality and intimacy after sexual assault. Thank you again. You've been listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. I'll see you next week. Take care.